Welcome to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. I'm your host, Kristen Thomas. I'm a certified sex coach and clinical sexologist based in Kansas City, and I just love to talk to people about what goes on in their sex lives and relationships. I also enjoy good conversation about love, heartache, activism, or making change in the world. Be warned, you should probably be 18 and over and probably listening on your headphones. Thanks for tuning in. Oh, this one's a good one. You're going to absolutely love this interview. Uh, Today I talked to Mariah Grant. She is a human rights and migration expert with a focus on migrant and sex worker rights, freedom of movement, and labor exploitation. She is currently the research and advocacy director at the Sex Workers Project of the Urban Justice Center. She oversees SWP policy advocacy at the state and federal levels and the development of research, including current efforts to pass the Safe Sex Workers Study Act. Mariah and I talked about efforts around decriminalization. We talked about some of the top ways to reduce harm for sex workers. We also talked about how to flip your legislators. How do we start working on real world steps, real world actions? to get state legislatures to change policy. We also talked about how you do need to vote with your dollar in these days. And cops are not always the solution. If you would like to get in touch with Mariah, with the Sex Workers Project, or with the Urban Justice Center, you can also make a donation to them quickly and easily by clicking a link there in the show notes. If you are listening to this on October 26th, I'm in Vegas getting married this week, so <laughs> I, I am officially pulling the trigger. Matthew and I are getting married, and what better way to have my third marriage and his first than just skip the whole big wedding thing and just run off to Vegas. So you might actually see social media posts about it before you listen to the podcast and hear this announcement, but I'm getting married! You know, I cannot deny that I had said before that um, after my second divorce, I was never getting married again. And let me just say this. And I I wrote this actually in one of my emails this month to to some folks that I think it was because of that high wall that I had for, for myself that I didn't commit myself sooner to somebody who probably wasn't a good fit. So me saying that did serve a purpose, but... I can also just be realistic and say that I release that promise. I don't need to keep that promise because I have somebody that I feel safe with and someone that I trust and someone that is emotionally available. And y'all, above all else, he is great in the sack and he supports what I do. He absolutely loves that I am a clinical sexologist and certified sex coach. In fact, he helps edit this podcast if you didn't already know that. He wrote the music for this too. I love him with all my heart. I'm so thankful to have him as my partner in life. And thank you all for your love, your support over the last couple of years. In fact, if you are an early listener of this show, you you heard a few episodes where I was talking about Matthew breaking up with me. So (laughs) um, if you've been with me since the start, you know how far this relationship has come. He just wasn't ready for me in 2019. I had to, you know, do the whole thing of like, set him free. And if he comes back to you, well, he doesn't belong to me. He's not mine. You know, I don't believe in that whole ownership aspect of love. But he did come back. So I think there is something valid about saying that, you know, timing matters. Our timing wasn't right in 2019. But thank goodness he figured his shit out in 2020 and decided he wanted to keep me around forever. I mean, I also decided I wanted to keep him around forever. But, you know, to anyone out there who might be experiencing something similar, where you've made a promise to yourself or trying to hold yourself to some sort of a standard, that when you're suddenly faced with new information, new prospects, new people, different timing, whatever it may be, and you find yourself wanting to go back on that promise, if it's not something that's going to hurt you or hurt others, if it's something that simply is a promise that's going to be broken because of time and different context, let yourself break that promise. It's just words. What matters most is that you're happy 
and your present dictates what makes you happy. Not a promise that you made in your past, not something that you have in mind for yourself for the future, but what's going on right now? Who's in front of you right now? Who are you right now? (sighs) End of show opening rant. All right. I know you're going to enjoy this episode, but as always, I would love to hear from you. Send me any questions, comments, concerns, or just chat. Kristen at Open the Doors Coaching is how you can reach me. This week on Keep Them Coming, I am joined by someone who I met in D.C. a couple months back when I was at the Woodhull Sexual Freedom Summit, and we had to reschedule because, you know, COVID and all. Um, So I am so pleased to have uh, Mariah Grant on today. Thanks so much for coming on my show. Yeah, happy to be here. So you are more on the advocacy side of things. So I'm really excited about some of the things that we are going to talk about today around sex workers, sex worker rights, decriminalization, what's going on on the political front because the midterms are coming and then um, kind of depending on how that goes, you're going to have quite quite a lot on your plate, I'm sure. Yeah. But um, tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and uh, what you do. Yeah. So I'm the director of research and advocacy at the Sex Workers Project of the Urban Justice Center. The Urban Justice Center is a nonprofit law firm. We have an office in New York, but we are a project within UJC that is national in scope. So mm-hmm. the Sex Workers Project operates basically like its own nonprofit. Um, we also provide legal services. So we have a team of lawyers who provide immigration legal services free of charge to people who have had experiences in the sex trades. So that includes people who are adult consensual sex workers, whether that be by choice or circumstance, as well as people who have experienced trafficking in the sex trades. Um, And then I oversee, as my title indicates, all of our policy advocacy and original research. We also have a team that works on communication and education, and we have a managing director who oversees all of our work. Um, RJ Thompson, he's based in New Orleans. I'm based in DC. Our communications director is currently in New York, but Mm -hmm. also operates out of the Dominican Republic and travels a lot right now there in uh, Berlin, actually, for the Berlin Porn Film Festival to premiere our docuseries, our second in our docuseries. Um, So we really do a lot of different types of work. Uh, We're a mostly sex worker led organization. So most of our management have current or prior experience in sex work of various types. And mm-hmm. then we prioritize hiring folks who are from the sex trade. So in our internships, which are all paid consulting staff positions from our associates all the way to our leadership, that's a really important piece is that we bring in folks who are coming from that experience of having done sex work and should be leading this effort to destigmatize and decarcerate sex work. A hundred percent. You've got to go to the people who have been there and done that and had the experiences. And let's be real, the way our country is set up, that if you've got any sort of a charge on your history, there's a lot of employers out there who aren't going to hire a former sex worker. Um, and, and even people who have never had any form of incarceration or charges brought against them, Simply having that in their history, if anyone finds out, there's a lot of stigma against it. And I've talked to friends, especially uh, friends that are trans experienced. You know, most trans women, I shouldn't say most, but there's a higher propensity of trans women who have done sex work compared to cisgendered women. So, um, and they are disproportionately incarcerated too. Yeah, there's a regular survey that's done around trans experiences there's it just came out for this current iteration of that survey but the previous ones have indicated that there is a higher rate of people who are trans doing sex work because of the discrimination they experience in other labor sectors yes they have the highest amount of unemployment rates of anyone on the lgbtqia spectrum Yeah. Yeah. And so sex work provides an opportunity that isn't open in other labor markets but with it The concern is that because of criminalization and stigma, that they now are experiencing a different type of discrimination because of their employment, because of their choice of how to survive economically in capitalism. Yes. And then it's a cycle, right? There are things that prevent them from being 
employed and participating in capitalism because the people that are pulling the strings <laughs> decide who gets to participate. Uh, then they do sex work. Well, then it's criminalized. So then they can't participate in capitalism because of that. So then they're doing sex work and yeah, right. but you know, sex work is work. There are plenty of cultures, civilizations, countries out there that don't treat sex workers the way we do. Yeah, we're actually one of the most carceral countries in the world when it comes to our approach to sex work. And we incarcerate people at much higher rates than in other countries, even places that people wouldn't necessarily expect to have better policies related to sex work, like countries not to perpetuate any stereotypes against any other country but i think the u.s comes from a vantage point that like the middle east is more conservative whereas mm -hmm. we see that actually there's more liberal laws related to sex work in places like tunisia so like so many things the yeah. u.s is in a big glass house throwing stones mm, you're my kind of girl mariah <laughs> Ah, so again, as she, as Mariah mentioned, the Sex Workers Project is an independent project that is sort of housed underneath the Urban Justice Center. But you know, tell me more about the project. Like, how long has it been going on? Who, who kind of got this started? Yeah, so we've been in operation. This is sort of 2022 is our 20 year anniversary because we were founded in 2001, but at the end of 2001. So we're sort of celebrating 20 years as an organization throughout this year. Thank you. Um, yeah, but based originally in New York City, and for most of our history, we were based there. One of the few, if any, silver linings of the pandemic is that it pushed people to reconsider where work happens. So um, our managing director at the time decided, you know, this was a chance to make us a national organization and expand our scope. Um, so we're now, you know, based, as I said at the top, like, in DC, New Orleans, in New York. Um, we also have partner organizations across the United States. Um, on our website, we have a list of all the organizations that we partner with regularly. And it runs from you know the West Coast, the East Coast, and everywhere in between. Um, also having staff in New Orleans, we really wanna center the experiences of the Southeast of this country that's frequently overlooked in terms of the sex industry and also the policy advocacy that's coming out of the sex industry there. Um, Louisiana is one of the few states where there's been a decrim bill introduced. Mm. There's been no decrim bill related to sex work that's passed so far, but gotcha. every bill that's introduced is historic. Um, and they also managed to have a committee hearing related to that bill. So an hour of people talking to legislators in Louisiana about the merits of decriminalization of the sex trades. And that's a real critical piece of the policy advocacy work that I oversee. Um, we work really hard to not just change the laws related to criminalized forms of sex work, which is a real big goal of ours, but to like fundamentally shift the way that we regulate and um, have laws applied to the sex trades broadly. Mm -hmm. You know, I personally have a, an interest in politics, policy, you know, how things you know, change. And something that I'm curious about is what are some of the main tactics that you use when you're approaching a state legislature? Like, obviously you and I know some of the background benefits when we talk about not having people in jail and the, the tax dollars are spent and all that, but what, what are some of the main ways that you try to break through to people who might otherwise object? There's the moral objections. Okay, fine, whatever. But then there's some some things you just can't argue with economically or policy wise how do you flip these people yeah so i think that for legislators and people who are maybe newer to the issues related to the sex trades there's been such a and i will say successful marketing campaign by certain anti-trafficking organizations and really like what i call the anti-trafficking industry uh -huh. to create this idea that all sex work is trafficking and yeah. just yeah. flattens all nuance related to this labor sector. Uh, it denies the reality of people who do sex work and are consenting adults doing the work. And it doesn't allow us and it doesn't allow policymakers to create good policy yeah. because the premise under which their argument is pinned 
people who are doing anti-trafficking work from an anti-sex work stance isn't based in reality. So the policies that come out of that position are extremely harmful and also not useful. So that's one of the things that I talk to legislators about is that, and also like bringing people in who have bought into that messaging or have only ever heard that, trying to have some humility myself and give them a chance to learn. So Mm -hmm. even if they're coming from this as saying like, you know, I've been told over and over again that all sex work is trafficking and like politically and personally, it's not viable for me to change policies that would then perpetuate an industry that's only trafficking. So like, I need to understand how sex work is different and how policies need to change to reflect the reality of what the sex trades actually are. And, you know, I'm open to helping somebody navigate that and evolve their position on the sex trades for them to say, you know, I was told by these groups that seem to have their heart in the right place. were saying they were, you know, removing people from trafficking but I guess I was not being told the full truth. Like Mm -hmm. I can Mm -hmm. work with that person to help them understand this issue better. So I think for me, that's part of what I do is like try to understand why a policymaker has the position that they do. And if it's just a matter of that, they've been told information that's not true and they need to have a fuller picture and a fuller understanding of the issue. I'm here to do that education. I'm here to provide that information to them. I'm here to show them the data from countries that have decriminalized sex work or the states in certain countries that have decriminalized sex work. Give them the information and the power of that information to make better policy. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. It It is something that weighs on my mind is how do we go state to state and start doing things? Um, I actually just I'm working on a screenplay right now about a, an activist named Laura X. Are you familiar with her? I'm not. A lot of people aren't because, uh, whereas Gloria Steinem kind of took the, like, yes, I'll be out in the public. Laura X is Also, I have a lot of feelings about Gloria Steinem because she is second wave feminist through and through and is not helpful towards the sex worker rights cause. So I'll just put a pin on that, but yeah. Understood and agreed in many ways. Yes. And I think that she is one of those people that we can say like, there was many good things that happened with her involvement, but there was also things that like, people like Betty Ferdinand, exactly. Yeah. Betty Ferdinand said a lot of bullshit about lesbians and all that. Um, so, but Gloria, other activists of that time were like, yeah, I'll be public. I will be interviewed. Whereas Laura X was like, um, activists get murdered and I don't want to die. So she decided to take more of a background approach. But she, after the rideout case in Oregon in the late seventies, um, where he was, John Rideout was found not guilty of, um, essay with his wife. She went state to state to try to ensure that spousal sexual assault was illegal. There was a lot of loopholes, um, even a couple of States that it was illegal. It was really hard to actually prosecute. Now there's still definitely some loopholes. Like there's definitely been some cases since then that show that there was some things to still modify. Um, but, you know, I was intrigued by the idea of this person going state to state and, you know, how do you find the right people in these States? How do you find the low hanging fruit? How, how do you convince people to see that there's better policy to be made? Well, I think in terms of sex work specifically, and also want to provide the clarity around what is and isn't criminalized and that Mm -hmm. it, it varies state to state. So that's part of the calculus and the complication as well as like, you can go state by state and also have to recognize that each state's laws are a little bit different. And that generally speaking, when we say decriminalize sex work, in the simplest of terms, we're meaning remove criminal penalties for engaging in the activities that are required for in-person mm-hmm. sex work. Um, what on a lot of um, what a lot of laws would call prostitution, specifically. Mm-hmm. So decriminalizing solicitation, decriminalizing. Um, promotion of sex work in a lot of cases, decriminalizing people seeking out the services of sex workers. So it's the client, it's the worker, it's the things that workers do to stay safe and operate together, which is usually criminalized under 
promotion laws. Um, it's even sometimes third parties that could include a landlord. It could include um, people who are providing transportation to people between mm -hmm. sex work gigs. So it's all it's a it's a kind of tapestry of laws that exist in each state and that are a little bit different. And what we would want to do is remove all of those criminal penalties and then sex work would be treated as a job like any other, which it is, yeah. but then the law would actually reflect that. Mm -hmm. So that's like first layer simplicity of like just removing those penalties, those criminal penalties. But because sex work is not just in-person sexual contact with another individual, it also includes people who are working currently within fully legal regulated sectors of the sex trades. We're also thinking about, are there laws that apply to people doing camming, doing adult mm -hmm. content development and posting it online that are infringing on their rights or making it much more difficult for them to exist mm -hmm. um, and do that work safely? Um, are there laws that impact people in strip clubs? Are there laws that impact people who do porn? So it is complicated and a lot of it is regulated at the state level. Some of it yeah. also can be changed through city ordinances. So in terms of like strategizing around like how do we go state to state, I think what we have to do is think about like, if you're an organization doing this, like what aspect of the sex trades are you trying to decriminalize? Um, if you're working on full service in-person work, like removing not just the criminal penalties for sex workers, but the people that they see, their clients, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. also those things that make them safer to do their work, like all of that has to be decriminalized. And there's also strategic ways that you can start to chip away at that carceral system that harms sex workers. So New York and California are really good examples of that. Organizers got together and looked at the penal code and like figured out what needed to ultimately be repealed for full decrim mm. to be realized. Mm -hmm. And also looked at like what, as you said, like what is the lower hanging fruit that could get changed or removed in the meantime, as you work towards that ultimate goal. And mm -hmm. so what we saw in both New York and California is that they were able to repeal their loitering for the purposes of ah, prostitution mm -hmm, laws. Mm -hmm. um, and in New York, the organizers there were really thoughtful about how they messaged that bill and the reality of like how loitering for the purposes of prostitution was a law used by law enforcement to harass trans women and yeah. mostly black trans women or trans women of color, uh, trans Latina women throughout New York City mostly, but also throughout the state. And so it wasn't even just about people doing sex work. It is, but it's also about people who are profiled as sex workers yes. and yes. how this law was used as a way to, for, for law enforcement to harm people for existing. And so that's why mm -hmm. the organizers termed it walking while trans that yep, this law that's what I was just yeah. thinking about yeah mm -hmm. yeah and so it was a walking while trans ban like they weren't allowed to exist in public space without harassment mm -hmm. which is some bullshit yeah definitely bullshit <sighs> so i live in an area of kansas city that is known for having sex workers on the street and there's even a billboard i live on a, a street that's just north of this one street called independence avenue and uh there's a billboard or two along there that is black and white and it says pick up a prostitute your picture goes here like there's no there's no one being harmed in the exchange of this service for those funds right like I also find that so grotesque that they would put the pictures of the clients up as if that's part of like all the work that we do is yeah. about destigmatizing sex work itself, which includes the people who are clients. And yeah. also part yes. of that is to recognize that like sex work because of criminalization and stigma, it's kind of like we're only allowed to discuss it in the most glowing of terms. And that's actually really harmful in and of itself. So it's not to say that like every client is like the best person ever and isn't 
violent at times and doesn't deserve some sort of consequences for harmful behavior. But when we create this image of just a person going to seek sexual services as being immoral and being bad, it really, again, removes all of the nuance that like sometimes, and this is something we've talked about recently as an organization, like sometimes sex workers are clients of other sex workers, Mm -hmm. just like you might be a server at a restaurant and then go to a restaurant and have somebody else be a server. Like this idea that clients are like all one thing is similar to how we think of sex workers as like all one thing. It's like this good and evil, very Mm -hmm. like simplistic thinking. And I also imagine that this billboard probably only ever shows cis men as the clients of sex workers, which is also like completely false. So it's just this real frustration that, and that's part of what we talk about decriminalization is not just about the workers, but Mm -hmm. it's about the clients as well, which would then make it so, you know, we're not going after somebody just for paying for sexual services in like an adult consenting environment, that if a client is violent, if a client doesn't pay someone what they agreed they were going to pay, like there's ways that we can penalize that person. And there's ways that we can seek accountability for that person for doing the harmful thing, not just for doing something that to me, there's no one being harmed when two consenting adults have sex. Right. And yep. there's an exchange of goods or services for that sex. Yeah. Yeah. I having sex work criminalized, especially in-person sex work services, simply creates an environment for violence to occur. And because- go unaddressed. Exactly. Exactly. We also have a case here in town that's going on right now. That's it's all over social media, all over TikTok. Um, out of Excelsior Springs, Missouri, which is a suburb north of the city. Um, a white man who's obviously a white supremacist because this uh, organization, Kansas city defender has been posting screenshots from Facebook that this guy was talking about impending race wars and, you know, throwing around terrible slurs about people. He'd apparently been going down to prospect Avenue, which is also in my neighborhood, um, sections South of here definitely have high traffic for sex workers. And he was picking up girls and uh, a girl escaped from his house and she was found. She had been held captive. He'd done all sorts of awful things to her. And she said that her friends didn't make it. And the cops haven't explained it. This just like happened on the seventh. I think it's been less than two weeks. Um, but yeah, the, there were people in the community saying, we think there's a serial killer. These girls are going missing. And the Kansas City police said, no, 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 nothing. Nothing's happening. We don't we don't have any information that that this is really occurring. He was picking up sex workers and murdering them. And we still don't know how many he's actually done this to. Yeah. And, and horrifyingly, we have several examples of that happening where somebody targets populations because as a society we see them as disposable and mm-hmm. that's there's no repercussion it is absolutely horrifying and that i think speaks to some people in our country who believe in placing this value judgment upon people that you're just not good enough you just you broke the law or you're immoral um and it, it it's not even just about sex workers. It's even sometimes trickling down to just people who had sex before they got married or had children out of wedlock or just these value judgments that some folks like to place upon people, especially around human sexuality. I mean, I guess it's partly why I have a job <laughs> trying to help break some of these societal stigmas. But Well, I think that's oof. like a big part of why sex work is seen as so other than other types of work is because of people's discomfort with sex and sexuality broadly. I also want to like highlight going back to people seeing sex workers as a population that they can harm without repercussions, without any accountability. That's the origins of international data and violence against sex workers. There was somebody called the Green River Killer in Seattle, Washington, Mm -hmm. who was specifically targeting sex workers as victims because this person thought he could get away with it and for a very long time you know they were able to and we also have gilgo beach in new york 
which to this day goes unsolved, multiple young women being murdered and law enforcement doing scant nothing. And I mean, the also, it makes me think of the potential for these individuals who have gotten away with it, who've never been identified, could have been law enforcement themselves, because we see so much violence come at the hands of law enforcement. And so I just like, like, that's where the anti-trafficking piece, the groups that are saying the cops have to be the central figure in anti-trafficking, I think fundamentally don't get it don't get it or are completely disingenuous and have no interest in actually addressing trafficking they get money they get clout mm-hmm. for doing anti-trafficking work and they're putting the harmful people in the position of power to solve um quotation marks solve the problem mm-hmm. like i don't trust that at all i am with you on that i want to talk about that in particular a little bit more about uh basically about the cops <laughs> um and some of the the work that you're also doing uh with some of the the surveys and i also want to talk about the safe sex worker study act too when we mm-hmm. come back yeah absolutely It's time for a quick break. I promise it'll just be a minute, so stay tuned. I'll be right back after a few words that help me get paid. Could your sex life use some rejuvenation? Join us for a couple's retreat in beautiful Puerto Vallarta. Have you ever wondered what a sex coach does or could teach you? Well, here's your chance to work with two highly respected coaches, myself and Christine D'Angelo from Portland, Oregon. We've created a workshop to help couples like you learn how to invite more sex, intimacy, and romance into your relationship over a five-day group workshop experience. This is at an all-inclusive, adults-only luxury resort, the Marival Armory. You can expect four to six hours a day of workshops designed to help you develop a better understanding of each other's sexual response cycles, creating more novelty and romance. And here are a few of the topics that you can expect. How to navigate uneven levels of desire, improve communication around this sensitive topic, redefine your definition of sex, and develop better oral and hand skills. We are going to actually go over sexual techniques. But the disclaimer is this retreat is not couples therapy. We are not therapists. Diving deeper into relational issues is not really what this retreat is offering. We are here to meet your relationship where it is currently and help you develop a skill set that will improve your intimacy and communication in the area of sex and sexuality. This is not a save your marriage retreat. This is a rejuvenate your marriage retreat. I say we're not helping couples on the verge of divorce. We're here to help couples who really love each other. I just want something even better. You can visit rejuvenateintimacy.com for more information or send me an email at kristen at open the doors coaching. We hope to see you there April of 2023. All right, back from the break, I am here with Mariah Grant from the Sex Workers Project of the Urban Justice Center. And um, before the break, we were starting to get into a little bit about how, you know, when it comes to solving issues around sex workers' rights, decriminalization, all that stuff, that harm reduction, um, Cops are not the answer, <laughs> just like they're not no. the answer for a lot of things. No. And in particular, you know, there was a case here in Kansas City. I mean, they had been talking about this retired detective in Casey case on the Kansas side for years. Um, but the FBI in September arrested a retired police captain. Um, his name was Roger, uh, Roger Golubsky. And he was arrested for sexual assault and kidnapping. It's even quoted here in NPR is saying that he's been the subject of allegations that he terrorized black residents of the city, sexually assaulted women and exchanged drugs for information in order to clear cases. And one of his cases where he used a woman um, as you're saying, she was an informant. She, he got her to testify against this young man. He just got exonerated and released. And I'm pretty sure won a shitload of money from from KCK, but he'd been in jail for like 25 years because of this guy. So who knows who else is still currently incarcerated or has a record because of this guy. But yeah, he was picking up a lot of sex workers and then he'd use it against them and he'd sexually assault them, get, get, you know, 
control of them in some way, shape or form. And then just terrorize the fucking community. And he was like partners with the either now chief or the guy who just retired as the chief. So it's systemic. There's no way this guy got away with all this shit without somebody on that police force knowing. So, and we see examples of this in police departments across the country. It's extremely disturbing. No, I mean, all the way up to like, the NYPD Special Victims Division, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners would understand is dramatized as Mm -hmm. SVU in Law and Order. Mm -hmm. That is a division of the NYPD that's currently under investigation by the Department of Justice for a potential pattern or practice of gender-biased policing. So it is endemic to all types of law enforcement, even the ones that are tasked specifically with working on issues related to sexual violence, that those officers are engaging in practices that are harmful and potentially include sexual violence themselves towards victims. Mm -hmm. And with NYPD, with the SVD, We've been working on a campaign to dismantle the VICE unit. Mm. So that's the unit that has worked um, specifically on issues related to sex work, among other things. Yeah. Related Let's to talk about vices. that. Yeah. 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 Um, but there's been, for years, community members saying that VICE officers specifically, usually because they're plain clothes, so mm-hmm. they're harder to like identify necessarily, but we work closely for a long time with the Translatina community in Queens, New York, and have, you know, heard from that community of ways in which vice officers have harassed them, and also the kind of ways that they're able to understand who is a vice officer and who isn't, and be mm-hmm. able to harm reduce in that way by telling their friends and their neighbors, like, you know, these are the things that the vice officers will do. But because for so long, Vice officers in NYPD specifically were also tasked with dealing with trafficking Mm -hmm. because the NYPD also, like so many other places, conflates trafficking with sex work. So it'd be very blurry. You know, the officers would be involved in raid operations that would be extremely harmful. Um, There also has been reporting for many years. ProPublica did a really excellent like deep dive on the practices of NYPD vice specifically and found that they arrested black and brown men at much higher rates than white men in New York City and that there'd been several lawsuits for false arrests by individuals and money paid out and there's in terms of just like also looking at like the absolute numbers so even in white neighborhoods that were getting similar rates of calls related to sex work in those neighborhoods that were predominantly white, it didn't then translate to the same number of arrests Mm -hmm. as it did in black and brown communities that were getting. Of course it didn't. Of course it didn't. Yeah. So just like the blatant racism coupled with the just horrific treatment of sex workers by law enforcement there's been a few cases that are like just like very exemplary of like the harms that law enforcement and NYPD vice specifically have caused. Uh, Yang Song was a young migrant woman working in a massage business in New York who during a raid operation fell to her death. And that death, her death is directly tied to the behavior and the actions of law enforcement. And we see that this is a real source of harm for sex workers in so many different places and is something that has to be addressed. So like tying it back to the policy stuff of like, how do I present this to people who are in positions to make decisions is like, how many more examples do you need of law enforcement not being the source of safety and the source of like dealing with harm that happens with the sex trades? We've got Like how many people have to die for you to care? Right there. Yeah. Yeah. Very valid. And I, I hope that gets through to people. I wish more people listen. And I I mean, I know that you all have 
a lot of work ahead of you to influence hearts and minds in the places where it matters. And part of that is by having like all the information that you need. Right. So tell me more about the safe sex worker study act. Yeah. So the safe sex worker study act is a bill that we have worked in coalition with other organizations on to get introduced into Congress. It was first introduced on December 17th, the International Day to End Violence Against Sex Workers in 2019 in the previous Congress. It's a bill that would specifically research the impacts of SESTA-FOSTA, which I won't go into like all of the nitty gritty details. Oh, we've talked about SESTA-FOSTA on here a lot. So So (laughs) the law that, you know, makes it harder to do sex work online, I'll Mm -hmm. just say that simplistically, made it much harder and caused a lot of harm within sex working communities. Um, So this bill would require the Department of Health and Human Services to study the impact of SESTA-FOSTA specifically on people who trade sex, including people who've experienced trafficking and sex workers, and with a real focus on like the disproportionate impact on the LGBTQ community and specifically trans women of color. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then it did not pass the original time that it was introduced, which is very common with laws or bills that are Mm -hmm. introduced into Congress. So we had it reintroduced uh, in March of this year on International Sex Worker Rights Day. Uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren is the lead sponsor on the Senate side and Mm. Representative Ro Khanna is the lead sponsor on the House side. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've added in to the bill text that instead of just looking at the impacts on the health and safety of people who trade sex, Um, We also would require the Department of Justice to release a report on SESTA-FOSTA's impact on investigations and prosecutions of trafficking specifically. So, Mm -hmm. um, and can I throw in there, or may I ask you, I've seen some of the numbers out there that show that FOSTA-SESTA hasn't done shit. So part of my thinking about this is simply like, okay, you, you're saying that FOSTA-SESTA is here for this purpose prove that it's doing its job which it's not right we have to have the numbers in order to show that yeah i mean to change laws like you need individual stories i think that resonates with lawmakers but you also need evidence i think that having data related to the impacts it also is helpful for community to be able to know you know what has happened to the people that are doing sex work. Mm -hmm. How do we use that information to change other types of laws? I think there's a lot of value for a lot of different reasons to get this bill passed and to have these studies done. Um, There was a report put out by the Government Accountability Office in uh, summer of 2021 that just looked at like kind of the legal implications of SESTA-FOSTA. And that's mm-hmm. where we found out that it's like not been used and has actually right. hindered law it hinders enforcement. hinders law enforcement now. Yeah. 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 Um, and I know you're in Missouri. So mm-hmm. uh, Corey Bush, Representative Corey Bush ah! is one of the co-sponsors. Go Corey! Yeah! yeah. We love Corey um, Bush around here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's out of St. Louis if you're not from Missouri, because I do have a lot of listeners that aren't from around here too, but... Um, hmm, okay. So I know who to reach out to now to talk about bringing that back up. Probably got to bring it back up in committee at this point. Yeah. So we've got, you know, midterms around the corner, November 8th or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're going to get out doing... the vote y'all go vote blue, blue wave. Hello. Yes. Go vote. I don't um, think anybody listens to this show. That's not mm, pretty much on that train. If you do, I'm sorry. You made it this long listening to my show and didn't realize I'm a raging progressive, like, mm, that's on you. Right. Um, I guess maybe they're like rage listening. Uh, but so we've got the midterms and then in January of this coming year, it'll be a new Congress. So mm-hmm. at that point, the bill would what we call die. Um, and then we'll have to like reintroduce it. So we're going to do a final push to get attention on the bill because even if it does not pass this Congress, it's still historic that this bill is being considered Mm -hmm. in both the House and the Senate. It is the only bill that focuses specifically on sex work. It's not a trafficking bill where we also talk about sex work. We talk about sex work first, 
And sort of within that, we also talk about the implications on trafficking, but the central focus point is on people who are choosing to trade sex and the impacts on them. So also looking at like this bill in particular for folks who maybe are newer to the issue of sex work and like aren't understanding the broader implications of SESTA-FOSTA and like why that needs to be studied is that we see this as a potential SESTA-FOSTA as a potential model legislation that will be replicated to chill other types of speech. So LGBTQ communities that organize online, um, seek out sexual and reproductive health information online if they're living in a place where they can't get affirming health care in the town that they're in, mm-hmm. go to online spaces. And so we see that it's potential to like chill that type of speech online. Mm-hmm. And with the number of state level bills targeting LGBTQ people, LGBTQ youth, having information, having freedom of expression online is so critical in this moment. Yeah. And also with people uh, with the overturning of Roe, with the Dobbs decision, that getting information related to abortion mm-hmm. online is critical. And there's a yep. deep concern among advocates that SESTA-FOSTA could be used as a model to replicate a bill that would chill the speech related to reproductive health care. So people who are in states where abortion is now effectively completely illegal go to an online resource and are then no longer able to access it or get penalized for writing about it online mm-hmm. from the state that they're in. So we're deeply yeah. concerned of like the just broad sweeping implications. Yeah. Thank you for addressing that. Cause that's definitely something that's come up for me thinking about, okay, well, if I'm in Missouri, which abortion is effectively illegal now, um, and I'm talking about, okay, well, you can still go to Kansas. You can go to Colorado. You can, you know, have someone in another state be an address for you and have pills shipped to them. If they're in a legal state, there's workarounds, but yeah, am I going to have someone come knock on my door because they listened to my podcast or they saw my blog post or they saw my TikTok, Instagram, whatever it may be. And then arrest me because I was giving out information. Like that's, that's a genuine possibility that in fact, I'm sure that there's people out there in the Missouri state legislature who would absolutely love to have me thrown in jail for disseminating that information. And I would say if you're somebody who's sort of having a moment of awakening or like a political radicalization because of what's happened with Roe, sex workers have to be your guide in this moment. People who have done sex worker organizing for years are the people to look to as the experts right now of having existed under criminalization for basically their whole entire lives of doing that type of work. They've been doing mutual aid, which is to me a very similar thing to abortion funds. Mm -hmm. They've been keeping each other safe as community forever. Mm -hmm. They've been able to exist even within criminalization and harm reduce and like know what they have to do. And I think they've not had the solidarity from people working on reproductive justice and specifically abortion access that is needed. And this is a moment to like, if you've ignored sex workers, but also been fighting for abortion access, like it's time to recognize that you might have some apologizing to do and some gratitude to extend and Mm. some bonds to make. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for that. Absolutely. And we're, we are going to all be stronger if we work together than if we silo ourselves and exclude people. Like we, we do all have to come together and say that we are in very scary fucking times. And if you're not getting radicalized right now, maybe listen to some more episodes or maybe I need to introduce you to some more people because like it's getting, it's getting pretty insane out there. Um, one thing that I'm curious about you know, as we're starting to wrap up here for the episode, you know, harm reduction, obviously is something we've talked about a lot in this episode and maybe some people are kind of getting it. Maybe they don't, but what are the ways that average people can try to make the world an an easier, safer place for sex workers? And they probably have sex workers in their life and don't know it. So these are probably your friends, your associates, the people down the street, people who are in your lives. Like how do we reduce harm ourselves for these folks? Yeah. Well, I would say, just as you were kind of reflecting on, if you are someone who 
sees this as an issue that doesn't impact them, I would spend some time contemplating if you are a welcoming person for someone doing sex work to talk to you about that, because it probably means that you have someone in your life who's doing sex work, but you're not a safe space for them to disclose that. So I would say if you genuinely are like, I don't know anyone who does sex work, think about that, ponder on that, and think about the ways that you might be talking about sex workers in your everyday life, the jokes you might be laughing at, the endless SVU episodes that you have on a loop at your house. Like, what are you being influenced by that's also influencing your behavior? Mm -hmm. And think about what you might need to change or the education you might need to do for yourself around this topic. There's a wealth of literature and podcasts and movies created by people who do sex work or created by really excellent allies Mm -hmm. that should be resources. And then I would say, let that influence the way you talk about this issue in the world. And then people that are in your life might see you as someone who is safe to talk to about this. And you might realize that you have people who are close to you, who you love, who do sex work, because most people unless they're living a very isolated life, know and love people who do some form of sex work. Mm -hmm. And I think that for us to change our perceptions around sex work, more people recognizing and acknowledging that, and even maybe seeing some prior job they've done as like a form of sex work is going to shift and change our ability to like exist in this world and change laws related to sex work and just destigmatize the work itself I also just think it'll make us better people as sexual beings mm-hmm. like that's a big part of why we are so closed off to this issue is just our own repression and our own discomfort with sex yes <laughs> yes absolutely and I only thing I think that came to my mind that I would add is also consider where you where are you spending your money? How do you vote with your dollar? Um, like everything that just went on with Wells Fargo closing accounts. I'm sure you had sex workers reaching out to you all in, gosh, yep. was it September that that happened? Mm-hmm. I remember seeing Alana Evans, the president of the Adult Performance Actors Guild post on TikTok saying that she was having her bank account of over 20 years closed. Yeah, I'm sure what they did is they probably reverse engineered that shit. They went and they found who's the company that's paying out the ACH mm-hmm. and how many accounts have that same ACH getting, they're getting payments from. And that's how they found the sex workers. So these are not even in-person sex workers. These are online sex workers. These are adult performers. And a lot People of them are in a union. Even doing anything like, not to distinguish between people doing criminalized and non-criminalized work. I think it should all be decriminalized, but I think for like the average person who's not as engaged in this topic to understand the power that private companies, tech companies and financial institutions have to circumvent law and discriminate Mm -hmm. against people in a way that is devastating and is not within the democratic process. Like we do not vote for Zuckerberg to have the power over our lives that he does, but we engage with the products that he creates and we put ourselves in a extremely vulnerable position because of it. And sex workers are targeted first, but they're not going to be the last ones who are targeted. It's just, there's a really excellent piece. um, I think it's in Wired. I believe it's the one that's called, are you ready to be surveilled like a sex worker where Mm. the author is talking about, they're not the canary in the coal mine because the coal miners actually heeded the warning of the canary dying. Mm. Sex workers are the carbon monoxide indicator beep that goes off when the battery isn't working that you ignore. Like you're being warned of something, but you're not heeding it. And I think that's, unfortunately, it really like that metaphor really resonated with me. Mm-hmm. I'll find that article. I'll put that in the show notes too, for people. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. And I I hope that's helpful for the listeners so they can start thinking about some of the ways that they can shift their perspective and help reduce some, some stigma out there. So that brings us to our last segment, which is ask coach Kristen anything. And again, this is your chance to either ask a question that, you know, you have for yourself or me, a clinical sexologist or ask for a friend, or maybe it's just something you'd like to get my perspective on it. Maybe you and friends talked about. So 
um, what you got for me today. Yeah, I'm curious in the work that you do, if you find that more people are maybe engaging with sex workers or going to see sex workers than they let on and kind of second to that, the role you see that sex workers could play in as like a healing profession that could actually really help people if they're having issues with like their own sex and sexuality. Yeah. I will say that there's been a few times that clients have revealed the platform in which they met someone and then the arrangements that they make for the said dates or sometimes even for sex. Um, I don't think that they fundamentally label those people sex workers. Um, I have definitely helped them draw that conclusion that even though this is your someone you are you consider yourself almost dating or seeing regularly, there's still a monetary exchange oftentimes. So that's still sex work. Um, and and none of them were taken aback or like, oh shit, I'm I'm doing something illegal. I gotta stop. It was more of well, you're right. Yeah, I guess that is. So it, that's been an interesting conversation. There's definitely been some times where I've heard people like stigmatize sex work and have to be like, hey, so I was a phone sex operator and I had an OnlyFans page. So like, let's let's talk about that a little bit. And I'm I'm okay going there with, with some people. Um, I think that the conversations around sex work, when it's directly about like, oh yes, I would like to go to see a sex worker right now. Those conversations right now are getting a bit more direct, which is interesting. I had someone come to me recently and go, yeah, I just don't think I'm ready for dating right now, but I don't really want to have friends with benefits either. So do you know any sex workers? And I was like, actually they all moved, but uh, <laughs> I'll keep my ear open for you. So yeah, it has been kind of coming more to the forefront for people our age, I think are more accepting of, yeah, we'll just get a sex worker. So I kind of like that. Cause that did not happen in the first like early stages of my, my practice. Mm-hmm. That's been nice. Um, and yes, as far as some of the like healing nature, I mean, I, there have been people who have reached out to me who I have simply referred out to either a sexological body worker or said, you, you probably just actually are looking for a sex worker and that's okay. Like, that's just not what I do. You know, here's some, some ways to find somebody. I think that Whichever way you go, I mean, the sexological body worker to me is just a decriminalized form of sex work in certain states. So I am, I don't really, for this purpose, want to try to distinguish between the two. It's sex Mm -hmm. acts that you are paid for. Both can be therapeutic. Absolutely. Yeah. I especially think about people who either, I mean, whether it's an incel, it's someone who maybe has a disability and has a difficult time dating. They're still a sexual being. Mm -hmm. Um, I, so I think for like those two populations, I don't want to equate them as being the same, but I think for separate reasons, both those populations should absolutely have easy access to sex workers. Well, I'd say like safe and like consensual and like the sex workers should want to be there and a hundred percent, all of the things paid the right amount and all of that. Yeah. All of it. Absolutely. A hundred percent. We are, we are sexual beings and pleasure is part of our birthright. Um, and absolutely going along with what you say about everything being consensual, all that stuff that to me is the default hundred percent. And I look forward to there being changes in our society. I hope to see it in my lifetime. Absolutely. To where no matter what your reason is, if you would like to connect with someone and experience pleasure or experience a sex act that maybe your current partner won't do, but you can pay someone fair market value to do that thing with you. And they want to do that thing. Why not? Why shouldn't someone be able to go engage with someone else? It's like a contract, you know, both parties agree. You should be able to do it. Yeah. I completely agree that, you know, sex work is a legitimate form of work. It is something that there is a lot of diversity within that labor sector. And there's also a lot of diversity in terms of like how people perceive their own work. And for some folks, it is a calling. It is the thing that they are deeply passionate about, are extremely professional in the types of services they provide and are wanting to provide an experience for people that is about really connecting on a human level. It isn't just about 
like penetrative sex or oral mm -hmm. sex or whatever kind of sexual experience it might be it's like it's also being a human with another human and sometimes you need that within the context of a safe transactional environment kind of like when you're in counseling where you are mm -hmm. paying for that person to be there and to provide a service for you but it's a very intimate experience with a counselor and with a sex worker like it can be so it can be such different things and i think that's part of what i see as necessary is like to complicate our idea of what it means to go to a sex worker like it should not be a situation where you feel entitled to that person in any way right you are not entitled to anything you create boundaries with the person you're going to see the services for you create an understanding of how much money is going to be exchanged or other good how much time and exactly like what you're going to do similar to if you're going to get a massage mm -hmm. you pay I'm here for 45 minutes I'm here for 60 minutes I'm going to have a back and leg and arm like whatever it might be like and you don't go mm -hmm. beyond those boundaries like yep and you get yeah. to say like oh that was a little too hard or can you go harder or get that spot yes like yeah. it's an exchange yeah yes it's just like any other service and I look forward to the day that our society sees it as such. And, and I also commit to you, to the listeners, anybody else out there that I will do my part, whether that's, I, again, I've talked about joking, whether I'm going to run for office one day or not. So whether it's from that position or it's simply trying to lobby, if it's trying to, you know, help bring, you know, folks like yourself into situations or get people connected so that we can take some action. Yeah. And I would solved. say we definitely need more out sex workers in positions of power in Congress, in state legislatures, in local city councils. I'm sure there are many who exist and there are many clients who exist in these political positions, but we need more people who are running on a platform of like, I have all these skills because I did sex work for all these years and they are going to fundamentally shape and improve my ability to lead. In Mexico, there was actually somebody who was just elected to Congress. I think it was their congressional body who is an out trans sex worker. And so Very cool. it is happening. It exists. Um, and we will all benefit from it. Well, if I run for office, my slogan will be, I've done a lot of drugs and fucked a lot of people. So what? Makes you sounds way more trustworthy to me than a lot of politicians. <laughs> well, I'll let you know if I run. But in the meantime, I will um I would like to connect further about the local policy about that billboard. I think that's the first thing that I want to try to advocate for, whether that needs to be changed on a city policy level, a county policy level, or the state. Um Maybe that's just and, one thing we can do to chip like away a at it. Thing you can do, and I would say, like for your listeners, like that's that's the thing. Is like it doesn't have to be the ultimate goal. Like if you can do one thing in your town that makes it better, that's a win, and that's part of getting towards the ultimate goal. Yes, yes. Thank you for that. Well, Mariah, this has been an absolute pleasure to have you as a guest today on my podcast. So, can you let the listeners know the best ways they can find you? find the sex workers project, anything else like that. Yeah. So you can go to swp.urbanjustice.org. You can donate. As soon as you go to the website, a donation button will pop up. We are an extremely under-resourced movement and we are an organization within that under-resourced movement. So if you want to see the great work that we do, our legal team, our policy advocacy, research, education, communications, all of it continued, please, please, please do know. Yeah. Donate, yes. Donate, 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 yes. And I will put we're, that in the show notes too. Thank you. So we're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, our handle for Instagram and Facebook under Zucker Daddy is <laughs> Sex Workers Project. Um, and then on Twitter, we're UJC Sex Workers. And Very we might good. not pop up in your feed because we include the word sex all over the place and we are actively being censored. So please do follow us and like our content. Yeah, I um I keep my personal handle as so fresh and so KT, but it says sex coach Kristen. Um yeah, I 
I love Twitter because I get the least amount of pushback on anything on there, but I'm so fucking over Instagram and Facebook. I've already mm-hmm. deleted WhatsApp. Like don't use WhatsApp y'all. They can, they'll, they'll, yeah. they'll turn not over safe. your messages and it's not safe. They will turn over your messages. It's already happening. Um, well, I will definitely make sure to follow you myself. I think I already do on a couple of those platforms, but y'all please find them, donate, give them a follow and find the ways that you in your life can help reduce harm towards sex workers and advocate for decriminalization. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. Please rate, subscribe, and share this podcast and check the show notes for stuff we talked about during the episode. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Clubhouse, and TikTok, but visit my website if you want more information about me and my coaching services. You can join my safe for work or not safe for work email list, which I call the Dirty Bird. If you want less censored content about sex and relationships and want to know what I'm up to, please subscribe to that list. Send me an email, Kristen at Open the Doors Coaching, if you have a question, want to book a session, or want more information on my upcoming workshops. My theme song is original music by M. Kusa. Until next time.